I'd like to welcome on the show our second podcast guest. She is a certified life coach and domestic abuse survivor, Miss Elizabeth Rowe Heidi. Elizabeth, how are you? Hi, I'm great. Thanks so much. How are you doing? I'm good. Do you go by Liz or Elizabeth? Liz is fine. Liz? Okay, we'll go with that. Could you please tell us about yourself and your upbringing? Yeah, so uh, my parents divorced when I was younger. Uh, I, I you know, currently my stepdad died, so he's no longer with us, but I had a stepdad growing up and, uh, he was actually great. You know, during the week, my mom and I would hang out a lot when I was younger. And then on the weekends, my stepdad would do things with me because during the week he'd be really busy with work. I would see my dad during the holidays. I would talk to him during the week on the phone. Uh, and you know, I guess like the negative side of my upbringing was schooling. Uh, you know, a, a lot of kids, mainly the girls were really mean to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my ethnic background is, um, my, my parents were both born in Cuba, but like on my dad's side, they're Arabic, they're Lebanese. So I have like really, really curly hair. As a kid, a lot of the girls would make fun of me and, you know, make racial slurs that I was black, that my mom cheated on my dad and all these like really mean things. Yeah. Especially in middle school, people can be brutal, very yeah, brutal. And I, I mainly grew up with just one girlfriend at every school that I would go to. And that was it. You know, I always kind of felt ugly left behind and, and whatnot uh, when it came to kids. So I found friendship in teachers. And then as I got older, uh, you know, middle school and high school, my friends were always way older, the older kids, and then they would always leave the school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel you. So that was kind of tough. So it, it, it did make me really insecure as a child. But I mean, thankfully, my parents were great. So where are you yeah. right now? And what do you do for a living? I'm back in South Florida. Uh, and um, I when I first moved to Florida, I was living in Tampa. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons why I moved back was so that I could actually get divorced and, and leave my ex because I didn't really feel like I could leave him while we were living in another state. So that, that was one of the reasons why I felt so trapped. But uh, I'm in South Florida and I currently, my full-time job is working for Citigroup as a financial analyst. That's great. Yeah. You had to move states. That's pretty common in domestic abuse relationships. Our, actually, our last guest had to move states as well. She used to live in Missouri and now she's in Texas. Yeah, I did listen to that. And I, it, like you said, it's very, very common. Uh, you know, I learned a lot about domestic abuse after the fact uh you know i mean i saw a psychologist and i had a life coach as well and i mean i did a lot of work right got out of the situation and i learned so much about how they isolate you a lot of the times it doesn't even become physically abusive until they feel that they have control over you whether it be financial control or physical as in you're gone you're not you know living in the same city or state as where your foundation is so that's kind of how it happened with me as well absolutely starting in the beginning of your domestic abuse relationship how did you meet this partner and how old were you we met in college. Uh, I was about to turn 19, actually. Where'd you go to college? I went to Northwood University gotcha. um, here in South Florida. Yeah, we met in school, and what's really funny is that I I look back, and I was not even interested in him. <laughs> 
funny how that works. Yeah, it was my gut, I guess, was telling me, what are you doing? But uh, we came from similar backgrounds. You know, he was born here, like me in uh, Florida, but his mom was Cuban. So I was like, oh, okay, well. Oh, wow, yeah, similar. Yeah, so I was like, well, we have that in common. Let's just go for it. And uh, through our relationship, there was constant breakups, which that should have been one of the biggest red flags right there. You know, he was really mean to me. Uh, Again, he'd never got physical with me until I moved in with him, Mm -hmm. but he was always really verbally rude. He lied a lot. Um, He even cheated on me. And we were always breaking up. And I would just run back to him because of how insecure I was at that point in my life. So would you say since the beginning of your relationship, he kind of gave you these red flags or did initially, did he treat you well at all? Honestly, it was from the start. Really? You know, I. So the first fight was, was pretty really quick. Bad. Yeah, but I was in a bad place. I mean, I was, I was 19. I had been made fun of my entire life. The self-esteem is a little low. And you're going into college. You kind of want to lean yeah. on someone. Yeah, and I also had this, I mean, really false idealistic view of what life was supposed to be like. Yeah. You know, you meet someone by a certain age that you can get married by a certain age and have kids by a certain age. And, you know, instead of just trusting what feels right, I was thinking, okay, well, this is what's supposed to be done. And a lot of people, Um, when they're younger, they just have that perception they need to settle and they just don't give themselves a chance to find what they really like. Yeah. And also, I mean, our generation, anyone that's, you know, the ages of 25 to 35 right now, look back at their parents and their generation. And it was different. My parents didn't really want to split up. It was something that happened that made them have to, um, but that's nor here nor there. But, you know, like my parents didn't want to end things. My grandparents are still together. You look at how things were when they met and people were real. People were honest. Yes. Now everyone puts on this mask and, and a lot of the times, and as a life coach, what I've noticed is that a lot of people do this slowly because they feel like they're supposed to. Many people don't do it as a way of wanting to be rude or be fake. It's because they want to fit in. It's not a sense of wanting to hurt others. I agree. Um, it's sad because you get lost in this little false world of your own and then you have no identity. So that's why when you meet other people, your relationships don't function because you don't even know what you want. So yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate that I was there, but I, I'm thankful for the fact that I got out of it and, and the lessons of that course. I, I took. So when you moved in with him, how far along in the relationship were you? Oh, it was pretty quick. So we dated. No, we dated in college first, so it's four years. So we were together for four years on and off before I moved in with him. We moved away to Philadelphia. What was that moment you guys were on and off and then suddenly you were like, okay, let's move in. Why not? Well, so my stepdad died. Again, I was at a low point in my life. Um, And he waltzes back into my life. I changed. I promise. I'm never going to be mean to you again. You know, I grew up a lot. Yada, yada, yada. Philadelphia. And give me one more chance. So when I first started visiting him in Philadelphia, it was only on the weekends. And it was you know, like once every two months, Mm -hmm. it was easy for him to just behave and put on this lovely show of Mr. Wonderful. After a couple months of that, I was like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll move in. And (laughs) wow. It was like night and day. In hindsight, what were like the red flags? Do you remember specific issues in the beginning that you began seeing with him? Yeah. So, I mean, 
not only just the verbal lying and things of that sort, but when we would be together in public, if he didn't like something that I would say or do, he would come over to me and grab me. Oh like, my god! Grab my arm, like stop saying that or stop doing that, like to control me physically. And you know, when we were dating, I didn't. At first, I was like, okay, whatever. Like, you know, maybe he's sensitive or something, and I didn't think that it was a big deal. But then it was all the time. Like, it was a constant thing of that I had to only speak a certain way, behave a certain way. You know, he wanted to me. He wanted me to be this, a certain person, and if I didn't quote behave, then I would get punished. And my punishment was the silent treatment. Or he would just say, I don't want to see you all weekend. And he would just completely bail plans on me. That's unreal. You know, things like that. And it would just be out of nowhere. I mean, one time he showed up at my place of work and started screaming at me, which that right there should have, again, also... In front of your coworkers and everything. Yeah. So that should have been a big flag enough in itself to me at that point to say, okay, this guy has no respect for me and he's raising his voice in front of other people like, at your workplace something here wow. yeah again in hindsight had i paid more attention that that should have been enough i mean that kind of reminds me so my parents had a domestic abuse um situation if you listen to the first podcast but that's the things my dad would do and in front of us and the kids like at restaurants like my mom wouldn't even say anything wrong she would you know just like forget to give him a napkin or something and it would turn into mm-hmm. this huge scene in the restaurant me and my siblings we would just be petrified it was just him fixing her all the time and after a while i feel like she actually believed that something was wrong with her i mean it's really just not the person it's like that situation you're in every day you just deal with it yeah and and unfortunately that is what happens because they you think you love them you know you're, you're like okay i love this person they love me supposedly and they're always saying this 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 so it must be true they're always saying i'm not good enough they're always saying i'm you know bad when i you know, at cooking or bad at thing or whether I don't show them that I care, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's frustrating. They do that so many times that you start to believe it. And that also adds to even more insecurity. So you take a person that's already insecure and you just keep digging into that hole, that wound, and you make it worse. Fast forwarding, what was the first domestic abuse situation that you and him came across? Do you remember how it played out? Yeah. So I I was in the bathroom crying and, you know, he came in he's like, what's your problem? Like, why are you crying now? Because I, I would cry when he would be mean to me. And uh, I was like, just leave me alone. And he was like, no. So I left the bathroom and went into like a guest, it was a guest room, but it's where I kept my clothes because our closets were so small that he, you know, all his clothes would be in one closet and all mine would be in the other. So I went into the guest room and I was like, I'm going to go change. And I closed the door and I locked it because I just, I wanted to just be alone. He came in, broke the door to get in. He, he kicked it down and he grabbed me by my upper arm area. So like close to my shoulders. Mm-hmm and started to shake me and threw me up against the wall. Mm. And he said, if you don't shut up right now, I'm calling your family and telling them that you're a crazy person. And that's another thing that he did was he not only isolated me physically from my family, but he told my family all these false stories of me from the very beginning of us. 
I mean, my mom and I were in a really bad place. She didn't believe me. She was like, how, him? He would never hurt you. Like, he supposedly loved you and you were mean to him. And I'm like, what? Yeah, <laughs> so, I like how you brought that up because I feel like that's something people don't realize with you know, domestic abuse victims is that they are so isolated. People don't realize they're they're not just not talking to their family because they have a choice. It's literally like manipulation just built in their head at the moment. Yeah. And he would talk so highly of me too, to people. So everyone thought you he was that? so in love with me. You right. Know? I mean, <laughs> I was the perfect fiance. I was the perfect wife. And he would just brag about, I mean, to his coworkers and everything. And then he treats and you like of, shit. Yeah. And it's, she makes me breakfast. She does this. She does that. And I'm just sitting there like. Then why do you treat you, me like that? Like, yeah. yeah. You'd be nice to me then. But again, he would say the same things to my mom. I just want to please her. She's so perfect. I just want her to be happy. Why isn't she happy? You know? And he would say these things to my mom. And then she would think that he was trying to please me when in reality, all he was doing was giving me the silent treatment, you know, financially abusing me. Like he lied to me about finances. I mean, it was everything that you can experience in an abusive relationship, I experienced. So some people only, you know, get either emotional or physical. Some only get cheated on. Some only get the financial aspect. No, like I literally got the whole lot. Finish. Yeah, the rainbow experience. Right, which is terrible. And so financial abuse, not many people realize either that that is a very common mix when it comes to domestic abuse too. You it's know, an isolation tool. Yeah, and because you don't have money, you can't get out of your situation. And that's the main part. I just started this just to like gather donations for people who need it like that. So how did he lie about finances? Did he hide money from you or did he just spend it without permission? Well, both. So he would tell me that we didn't have enough money to cover bills and that I had to help him more. And I was like, okay, well, right now I'm in the middle of helping my mom. So because my stepdad had died, I was helping my mom. at the time. So I was like, well, you know how much money I make? Because I showed him my paychecks and everything. I was like, I literally only have enough to pay my bills, pay my mom's bills, pay the car, you know, my, my own car payment and buy the food for both of us. Yes. You make twice as much as I make. How is it that you don't have money? When I first said that, he would, you know, he snapped and he's like, well, you know, you just don't understand that I have to do this and I have to do that. So I was like, okay, fine, I'll figure something out. I ended up like going and working elsewhere part-time, adding hours at work, and I started giving him cash every month. And then he was going out and getting flying lessons. So, and flying lessons, that's like $100 an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so this continued throughout, you know, our entire relationship. And, you know, even when he went to go and, you know, do the divorce and everything like that, it was it, when you file for a divorce, you, when you meet your attorney, you have to like fill out paperwork that says how much you make and how much your partner contributed to the monthly right. know, relationship and all that. And he lied on everything and put that I never helped him, that I this, I that. I mean, all this complete BS. I thought it was kind of funny because I'm like, you're so stupid to think that that paper trail is not going to be shown. I sometimes even wrote him checks. Not every month. Most of the time I just give him cash. But sometimes I wrote him checks. So I went back and got all of my financials. And I was like, okay, here you go. Here's all the proof of how much I contributed. You know, it was it was really interesting that he thought that he could get away with certain things because of the fact that I did let him get away with other things at the beginning, you know, but at, towards the end, I was so strong 
that I was not going to let him, that I just wasn't going to let him take over my life. And that's actually how I was able to get my relationship back with my mom as well. So I took pictures of things. So if he said something to my mom, I would go and get proof that he was lying. And I actually sat them both down in the same room and I was, I asked him questions and let him lie. And then at the end I said, do you really want to keep those answers as your answers? Is that it? And he said, yeah. And I said, okay, well, here's the proof that you're lying. And I showed the pictures to both him and my mom. And I said, now what do you have to say? He, he just said nothing. And I said, okay, mom, are you good now? Do you believe me now? And she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And but what was the last straw for you between you and his relationship? He started to make threats that he would kill me. So he would get in my face. I mean, get in my face. Man. And say, sometimes I just want to kill you. And I was like, what? What kind of a maniac says that? How can you say that yeah. to someone you love? I just can't wrap my head around that. And, you know, he, and after he started saying those things, I couldn't sleep. I and mean, I was super scared of sleeping next to him because I was like, this guy's going to kill me. Of course. Then one day I was in the kitchen cooking something and he grabbed a knife and like just started walking towards me with this really creepy grin. And I didn't know if he was just trying to scare me or if he was really thinking of doing it or what was going on. But I ran out of the house and got in the car and just drove off. And after that, I was like, okay, I, got, I gotta leave. I just, I've gotta leave. You drove away and then what did you do? Where did you drive? How did you feel? <sighs> I, I mean, I, I felt lost. I felt scared. I felt confused. I felt like this was a dream. I was thinking to myself, this can't be my life. It's not possible that I have spent X amount of time with this human being. And it got to this point. And I was also thinking, how could I let him get to this point? Like I've tried, cause I haven't tried counseling with him, marriage counseling, things like that. Um, so I was like, I've tried everything. Is there something that I'm missing? Is there something I did wrong? Is there some place that I should have taken him that we didn't do? And you're still blaming yourself. Yes. I mean, I was like replaying everything in my mind about from the day we met until that very moment where we were at. And I was just like, okay, you gotta, you gotta do something now. Now you just have to get out. You know, you're in Florida, you know, you prayed for this because when we were living up North, I was like, I can't. I would pray every day from work to home because it was a one hour commute. I would just sit in the car and pray as I drove, God, please get me back to Florida. If you get me back to Florida, I will be able to leave him. Please get me back to Florida. And I would just keep praying and praying and praying. So yeah. And you know, God is huge. He ended up, you know, making my husband have to relocate to Florida, which Mm. meant that I was moving too. And you know, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And when we first moved back to Florida, I was like, okay, I'm going to give him one month. Maybe, maybe it'll be different. Cause I was still like, you know, I'm married to this guy. Do I really just want to give up, get divorced, start over, you know, because a lot of people are afraid to start over. And I was there. I was, I had fear of starting over and, and starting over again with the wrong person or making a mistake. Maybe he wasn't a bad guy and I was still wrong. Right. So even after God answered my prayers and got me to Florida, I still said, okay, I'm giving him 30 days. If he doesn't change, then I'll leave. And that's when he started doing the the threats and telling me he was going to kill me. So what advice would you give to women stuck in an abusive relationship and want to escape? You know, everything really starts with self-love. So, you know, I, I would look at first yourself. Why are you in this? Why are you with someone that clearly doesn't 
care about you. And I'm not saying that everyone that abuses people is a victim, but most of the time they are. You know, my ex, he was actually abused as a child, which in turn, you know, made him a narcissist, made him abusive. You know, now that's not always the case, but it may be. So what I say to people that are victims of an abuse is don't look at them as the victim. You are the current victim because sometimes we, as people that, you know, are caring and loving, look at them and say, well, something probably happened to them to make them this way. And we start making excuses for them and we forget that we are the actual victim. You have to think about yourself and also think about the cycle. If you stay with that person, whether it's just your boyfriend or your husband, if you stay with that person and then you get married and then you have kids, those children are gonna grow up in that vicious cycle as well. If someone is physically abusive with you, there's a chance they could be physically abusive with your children. Do you want your children to be physically abused? And then on top of that, you then are promoting that cycle because children that grow up in abusive homes end up having some issues later on as well. And not all of them become abusive, but sometimes they become the ones that are the victim as well because they see it at home, they think it's normal. So they get into abusive relationships and they're the victims, but they think that's what love is about. Yeah, and it becomes a pattern of nature. It's super sad. What I say to people that are currently in abusive relationships is take a stand to actually make the world a better place. You know, don't so much think about yourself, but think about everyone in the future that you are impacting because we are all connected. The most selfish act that you can do as a victim of a domestic abuse is staying in that relationship. That is the most selfish thing that you can do. The most selfless thing you can do is leave. Leave and show other people that you were strong enough to leave so that they can do the same thing. Lead by example. Leave so that in the future you can have a healthy relationship and bring healthy children into this world that clearly right now doesn't have enough love. That's that's my opinion, is just build more love in this planet, you know? I agree. After you left, you became more closer to your mom. Did you move in with her or did you get another place? At first, I was still working in Tampa, so I got my own place there. Uh, but we're Cuban and we're pretty old school Cuban. So if you're single, you really aren't really supposed to leave the house if you're a female. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah so yeah. like me, me living alone in Tampa was not the best thing. My family didn't like it too much, but that's where my work was. So... Again, God stepped in. Uh, I switched roles into another position within the same company, and I was able to start working from home. Uh, but it wasn't a full-time work from home. It was a couple of days a week, back and forth kind of situation. So now I'm at a place where I can work from home most of the time, uh, only go into the office when I really have to. So I'm actually able to live in South Florida with my family and travel to Tampa when needed. As you moved in and you were adjusting and coping, did you have any trauma? How did you deal with that? So when I first uh, left him and was on my own, I had a coach uh, and she was, I mean, she is, cause she's still alive, uh, amazing. Uh, she made me really strong. She helped me with a lot of my insecurities and she's actually the inspiration for me wanting to become a coach myself. She helped me a lot, and after seeing her, I told her, okay, I'm I'm ready for the next step. Like, I want to fix this with my mom. So she said, okay, well, you know, your mom's going to want to see probably a psychologist, 
mean, and with you. So I was like, all right. So she then referred me to a Christian psychologist, uh, and I went with my mom and I had a session with her there and, you know, it, it helped us a lot. So my mom started to understand a little bit more about the fact that I was still in Tampa, not because I didn't want to be with her and X, Y, and Z that, you know, I had to, you know, get divorced. Um, I had to understand the fact that I'd never told her because, you know, when I left, my stepdad had just died. I was, you know, financially taking care of my mom. So if I had told my mom that I was getting abused while I was living in another state, I felt like it would just be a burden on her. So she also had to cope with that. So it really helped uh, having, you know, professional help step in. So I'm not that educated on life coach. Is that the same as a therapist? Is there a difference? For me, the difference is that I wouldn't look at the psychological aspect. Um, Even if I do, I'm not going to try to treat you like a psychologist Uh, as a life coach we would more so look at your current situation try to focus on what you need to build i see to get yourself to a better place so you know for me my life coach she was just constantly building on my security so that i would feel more secure within myself more self-worth more self-love and she would try to find what instances created certain patterns uh, and then we would work from there on certain like, homework, uh, and that's how I work as well. So I would have a session with someone, find out what they're feeling that's negative towards themselves, it's keeping them from whatever goals they have, whether it be um, you know, financial, career, education, or even relationship goals, because everything comes from yourself. Everything at the end of the day is really you. Yes. You're the one that has control of your life. So after that, then we would say, okay, so this is what you have to do. This is your homework and you have to do it. You know, if you don't put in the work, nothing's going to change in your life. Um, so that's how a life coach works versus a a psychologist. I gotcha. So I was pulling up your Instagram and I saw one of your, (laughs) (laughs) I saw one of your posts and it said, do your research before saying hurtful things to someone that was hurt Embrace enough to eventually leave no matter how long it took. And you're kind of speaking about the situation where you come across people who do not understand domestic abuse the way you do. What do you have to say about yeah. that? Yeah. So I know that some people, the way that they talk about victims have been abused is, well, why did you stay so long? You know, and that's actually how they say it too, tone and everything, because they look. They think down it's that simple. Yeah, as if you know you were dumb, or did you like it, or you know, as if there's something wrong with you for having stayed so long. Uh, and in in my opinion, you know, people shouldn't go out there and start say acting like they know everything when they don't do their research just like i i'm not a cancer doctor but i i do my research and any posts that i make about cancer because you know cancer is really close to my heart i lost a lot of loved ones to it is something that i research about a doctor saying it i'm not going to say you know um, popcorn gives you cancer because it tastes bad you know i would do research and i say okay this doctor said x y and z about sugar or x y and z about processed food and you know that's what i would say so i don't think that it's fair for someone that's never been in a situation to go and judge someone else and say something hurtful like well you stayed or you wanted it or you know it was your choice to do it right yeah, you have no fucking clue adult, but i didn't know what was happening when it started you know because you're you're in the moment you know obviously looking back again i see the red flags but who i was at that point in my life 
was an insecure, sad girl. Um, at this point in my life, I'm a secure, strong woman. And that's something that I didn't really have when I was in college. My friends in college, a lot of them, it was just like party friends that we would go out on the weekends or we had class together during the week. All right, surface level things. So my words are encourage others to love themselves. You know, don't speak down on, you know, their mistakes. Instead, help them learn whatever lesson they're trying to learn. I love that. I love your story. I want to thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I wish you the best in everything. You're super inspiring, and I'm glad that you're a life coach. You're going to change lives through spreading awareness, too. Thank you so much for having me. I think it's amazing that you're doing this, you know, um, and we need more people like you that are spreading uh, awareness and sharing this love because clearly you have love to share for all of these women that are dealing with it. And I mean, there are men out there too. That's the other thing we can't forget yes. that some men are abused as well. It's my mission to um, find a man on this podcast as well. I think that uh, a lot of men think that they're, if they say that they're being abused, that la- that shows that they lack being a macho man or something of that sort. Oh, yeah, yeah. That of is course. not the case at all. Never. So, you know, I encourage any man that's dealing with it to speak up as well. Well, thank you. I appreciate you so much, Elizabeth, and I wish you the best in luck and everything. We'll have to stay in contact. Oh, for sure. Thank you so much. You take care. For those who are listening, if you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe on social media or any outlet. If you would like to donate an 100% donation to a victim or the general donation fund for domestic victims, you can find that on peace-over-pieces.org. Thanks for listening.